0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly 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 dong, come on.
1: Into goal, And to Scheringham, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Aguera.
1: Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Carneen. Joining me for this episode is Tony Annan. Tony is the Academy Director at Atlanta United, who are the newly crowned MLS champions. So we talk about player development, coach development. Our coaches being pushed enough. Tony talks about his journey with the French license, which is brilliant. Recruitment, importance of character, and then align and everything with the first team to the academy positional profiles, all that good stuff. Coaches are going to absolutely love this. Tony was really generous with his time and also with his level of detail and insight. So always looking forward to hearing what you think. Please let me know at Gary Curnine on Twitter, at Gary Curnine on Instagram. If you haven't already, please check out the Jose Maria Baquero interview, which is now up on modernsoccercoach.com. I sat down with the former Barcelona captain and current academy director we talked about Cruyff, Pep, football today, parenting absolutely brilliant brilliant man so let me know what you think of that while you're on the website of course feel free to check out the new 433 book a couple of other books in there as well so check them out modernsoccercoach.com thanks for listening here's Tony enjoy well Tony thanks for joining me Today, on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast, excited to finally get you on. Excited to finally be on. (laughs) We start these interviews always with the philosophy question. How would you describe yours?
0: Um, My personal philosophy towards coaching the player is players should
1: be held accountable,
0: uh, disciplined, open, very open, a good communication between player and coach is uh, imperative but there has to be accountability there has to be discipline there has to be commitment within the sessions within games if a player wants to move on and keep learning and growing they have to have accountability and they've got to believe in what you're doing and they've got to believe in the culture that like you said so it's not regiment it's just straightforward really mm-hmm. honest I would say is the best way to describe it. I'm honest with them and they need to be honest with themselves. We all need to just be on the same page. A lot of
1: so-called traditional values you've named there. Honesty, accountability, hard work. In a game that's valuing the technical side and all this here and throwing stuff. Do you think we're moving away as a coaching generation from valuing them? Or do you think
0: a society moving away from it? It's a good question um i think there's definitely been a shift in society and the way we view honesty and the way we view accountability um you know there's there's a borderline right you just, there's there's abuse yeah and there's over the top and there's negative you know ability behavior that can lead to really negative results which I'm not endorsing that at all but I just believe that if you're honest with the player and they're honest with you and you can have an honest session and an honest game and evaluate that game honestly you get you you move on together quicker right yeah. so there's definitely a shift in the coach who the coach who believes in what they're doing but is viewed and judged by people on the outside who don't know the relationships with the players who don't know how that coach has evaluated that player to get them to move to get them to do what they want them to do it's uh, people are quick to judge I think now coaches society's changed to a very judgmental approach to well he's loud Mm -hmm. so he's not a good coach He's direct with the players, so he's not a good coach. And I'm not entirely sure that's true, because unless you see every session, unless you see every evaluation, analysis session, video session, one-on-one individual session, you just don't know. But again, you can't be abusive. You can't be degrading to a player. And I agree with that. But you can be honest, direct, and straight, and get to your point. And have an honest conversation without being abusive so yeah I think people get judged very quickly on their ability based on the volume at which they coach but if you listen to the information which is coming out which is being given and is there a two-way conversation is it, is it okay for the player to talk honestly back to the coach and if it is that's, that's, that's a good relationship it's healthy
1: you're obviously in a, in a position where you get to recruit, pick the players, maintain contracts with the players. How do you go about picking a player for Atlantean area that you want to work with that has those qualities? Can you tell quickly if they're honest or not, do you go through a process of talking to people or asking other people? or
0: We've uh, <clears throat> We've shifted since we started on recruitment and how we do it. Um, some of the things that we look for in a player now that we didn't at the start, um given our mistakes that we've made and the things we've done well, we try to keep evolving that process and make sure you do the right things the right way um, that are successful for you. One thing we've implemented is more conversations with the player and the parents before we bring them into Atlanta united It's good to get to know their background, how the home life is. How they are at school, you know, extracurricular things that they do. Where sometimes we didn't really care about that. We just said he's a good player. He's got a wonderful left foot. Let's get him in. And sometimes that backfires. Um, we have an unofficial rule within our academy staff, which is called no some things allowed. Um, and we're we're trying to live by that at the moment because it's working for us. We've we've let go. Probably five or six players in the last two years for behaviour issues and character issues that we didn't know bringing them in that were there. But then they are the other one that's what upsets the apple cart, that's the bad apple, that's the bad egg mm-hmm. that it spreads really quickly. So we just cut it out and say, I'm sorry, but you're not cut out for line United. Our culture doesn't allow this. So it seems to be working really well in a positive way that. We're finding better players with better character and that X Factor that we call it, but and we're not picking so many that are um, not great characters. Yeah, We had a kid come in, sit with his mother and every time I asked the, kid, uh, the mom a question, the kid would answer for her. And I didn't like the way he was doing that. And so I carried on asking questions and eventually he told his mom to be quiet and all the guys were saying this guy's talented this guy's really talented we should bring him in and I went no if he talks to his mum that way we've got no chance so we didn't bring him he went, went to another club and apparently they've had problems with him problems. so it's it's finding those little pieces that, and that's your opinion mm-hmm. some clubs are, might not even care we can fix it we can do this and the other
1: but, but that's, that's the thing because we all I talked to someone about this a couple of weeks ago for older age groups we all think we can be the coach that can fix the player you know we cannot but it was uh, sure he wouldn't play for him or her they'll play for me yeah have in your experience has it ever
0: worked where you've gambled on that player this may sound a really severe answer but never raw <laughs> <laughs> never. it's never worked i've tried yeah i've tried and i've tried many different methods to mm. get it to work but the saying you know a leopard doesn't change its spots Is it's, it's mm. When they get into the older age groups, it's really, really difficult, I think, to change them and their mindset. and It's not impossible. I'm sure there are people out there who do it and do it well, but I've never been able to do it. I've always been able to get a young kid and mould them and change them when they're younger. But Hard to do it. I find it... I'd love to know who's doing it really well, because mm. I'd hire him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: when I met you in the summer you talked about the impact that the French coaching course had on you can you talk to us about that
0: yeah absolutely you know I'd done all my badges I'd done an FA badge at home and then I came over here and I did all my USSF badges pretty quickly as you're allowed to you know one week here one week there nine days here nine <laughs> days there so I thought you know I'm doing pretty well I'm a pretty good coach and got my badges and thought everything would go really well and then I got the opportunity to go on the EFCL so obviously going into that I was pretty confident and you know I'd won things, we have developed people we'd got all my badges <laughs> been in the States for a fair few years and building a decent reputation of coaching and you get there and you realise how bad it really is how really nasty thing to say I guess but how much cheating had been going on and this was me about me not about anybody else Mm -hmm. I just felt like I'd been cheating once I got into that course I just didn't feel like I had been really doing the things I should have been doing or trying to cultivate players the way it can be done and you sit back and you just say you know what someone's going to peel back my layers here and it's going to be really uncomfortable and either you embrace it and you say let's go for it and let's see what happens or you you turn around and you say no this is not for me so I decided to basically let them peel me down to the core Mm -hmm. which they did, they rip me apart they build you up then they pull you down, they build you up then they pull you down you think you've got it and then you haven't and it's almost like their method of raising a player they do it to you as a coach which is quite you know intuitive really it's it's you don't realize until you're finished and you go, they've just done to me what they want me to do with a the player. they allow you to fail, they allow you to discover yourself, the learnings on you, you know they really bring out another side in you that you just i didn't know existed in me completely changed my approach philosophy. The way I think about training sessions, the way I think about exercises, trying to pull out the principle in the exercise and how you do that by using a completely different rule that doesn't apply to your principle, but if the rule goes well, the principle comes out. It's just it's another level, really, of solving the problem of bringing out the principles and teaching the principles by using constraints and rules that don't really apply to what you're teaching, so it's it's pretty in depth. It was two years. It was uh, probably the best thing I've done, education wise, so far in my career, and I'm so happy that I did it. Like it's it, it totally changed me as a coach, and I'm happy to admit that. It's amazing. There you say that's almost in correlation
1: with how players players are developed. Why do we? not push coaches as much as we should in your opinion mm. in my opinion <laughs> um, or or disagree is coach education too easy
0: I think education has come a long way I think the restructure that they've gone through and the methods that they're teaching are a lot better it's definitely on the right track mm-hmm um the fact that you have to wait six months and do some learning away from the course and then go back to it applied learning is i think it's great that's the way to do it um could the courses be even longer and have more applied learning and more focus i think so especially because it's obviously more of an expense now for people but wherever you go if you go do your way badges if you go do your french licenses your spanish licenses it's the same. It's expensive. It's a lot of work. It's not easy because it's not supposed to be. Because coaching is not easy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that I think that's where people fall short a little bit, thinking, "Ah, I'll get through that course, no problem." You know, and you shouldn't be. You shouldn't think that. You shouldn't think this is an easy course, or I don't have to do that course because I've already played. Yeah. You know, <sighs> is coaching education easy? I think it is for some people, for the guys who get it really quickly. I think it's a challenge for guys who don't, obviously, but that's the way it should be. But I think we have to challenge our best coaches to do more, to do better. To take courses like the FCL and provide access to that would be amazing. And I'm biased, right, because I went through it, and Mm. some of my guys in my academy are going through it and have been through it. And every one of them, I've seen change, and be stripped of what they thought they knew, which is never a bad thing for anybody in any walk of life, in my opinion. It's to be stripped down naked and have to rebuild. You know.
1: Again, coaches kind of approach it, approach education with skepticism, a little bit apprehensive about. I have to take this course because I'm a. I'm, someone's making me. Did you go in with? Did you go in ready to like, I'm willing to change or did you go in with a little apprehension that everyone else goes into and it was the power of the course that?
0: I was at a point in my career that I was kind of bored, needed a challenge. So I was taking a new job, which wasn't easy Mm -hmm. because I had a pretty good job at the time that I walked away from. So the course was right. As soon as I started, the course was there to go and do it. And I thought, great. I'm starting an academy, I'm building an academy, I'm doing a new thing, why not? And I was also on the Academy Directors course at the same time. Wow. Which didn't I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. So was <laughs> two years of both flip yeah. yeah, flopping between the both. But I was ready for something new. I was I mean, I was considering my UEFA badges as well at the time. And this was as close and as good as I could do as get to doing the UEFA's. Um so I was ready for something But I was also ready and willing to let somebody kick the crap out of me for a two year period to make me better. I mean, there was times in this course that I was (laughs) near to tears Uh with frustration or disappointment, which was good for me. I thought it was really good, it was good that Mm -hmm. I got to that stage and I'd never been there. Cause I'd always kind of, I felt gone through the other courses that I'd done pretty easily and this wasn't easy.
1: I had someone there on, was on Twitter last week, I posted something out about a teacher and they said yeah, you should tell that to the, my instructors, they could be more um, friendly, and, but, but I'm sure you're not describing a friendly instructor who sat up beside you and supported you through it. So <laughs> what should the role of an instructor be?
0: I think challenging is a good word, mm-hmm. almost like a coach, right, mm-hmm. of a kid, of a, of a player. You have to challenge constantly and not let them get comfortable and not let them get lazy and not feel like they're too above everything. And I think the French staff did that amazingly well. They were really, really intelligent, number one. And you gave them the respect. They earned their respect, but you gave it to them really easily, which I think is the big difference, right? When someone stood in front of you and you respect them and what they're saying to you, you take the information so much easier. Right, you don't switch off at any point even though you're being translated to in your ear, which is really easy to fall asleep to. (laughs) You don't, because you respect what they're doing and you respect where they've been and the history and everything else. But at times they were really friendly and really jovial and had a good time, but it was always at times when it, it was called for. It was never during sessions. It was never during lectures. It was never during a practice. It was only at times where they knew they could form a relationship with you and they did it ever so well so you felt like they liked you that they trusted what you were doing and then pop they would knock you down and say you haven't been working hard enough you haven't done this and to be fair it was probably truthful and very honest so the honesty piece that I keep going back to is is a lot of they're very honest with who you are and what you're doing if it's not right they tell you there's a traffic light system So at the end of every course, every week you did it, every six weeks you went somewhere and did this week long course. At the end they would sit down and say, tell me what color traffic light you should be this week. And you would say, "Uh, green, I thought I did really well. And they would go, no, it's red. And that would be it. (laughs) And you'd have to go away and do applied learning until the next course to try and get back on an orange to get to a green. And when you thought you'd done red, no you did orange with a bit of green and you're sitting there going huh? so it's it's it was never you never felt relaxed enough to say I am killing this course you never felt that I don't think anybody on the course would say that's how I felt and I think that was by design but you never felt disliked or disrespected in any way it was just As long as you embraced what was going on, you're okay with it, then it was working.
1: You mentioned just a little bit session design and practices. I see a lot of coaches that are going through the process over here at the minute, and it's the same picture. One goal, two-way goals at the halfway line when they're coaching any part of the game. Watched your... You did a practice in Miami that was as close to... Decision control, decision making, everything combined. How much flexibility is there in the French education of, you know, being creative with session plans, or is that
0: important? It's really, really important. Yeah. The cre- more creative you are, to pull out the principle which you're teaching, um, the more creative and the, the better skilled you are with rules and constraints, that make the player make decisions on their own without you telling them this is how you do it and this is what you have to do, the better you are at the methodology, at the pedagogy, as they always say. The more creative you can be with your field size, the constraints and the rules you put into the exercise, technical or tactical, the more you'll get out of the session because the players will have to think more, make more decisions, Approach it differently, but they must obey the rules. If you don't have them obey the rules or the constraints you put in the session, it doesn't work. If you allow them to ignore the rule, then your session doesn't work. So, the makeup of your session is basically it can be very simple, but the rules can be very, very creative. So, it could be a simple exercise, but it has these rules that can kind of reverse the principle to bring out the principle, uh-huh. and that's where. Jean-Claude who heads up the course is probably the most intelligent man I've ever seen put a session together because he can look at it, walk in and make one change and the whole session just changes where you're sitting thinking what can I do here to make this more more challenging and it's too easy and what can I do, what can I do and he could appear on your shoulder and say why don't you move this cone here and that cone there and tell them that they have to attack between the cones which will force the space to open up on the outside which will get where you're going with the principle of play and he's so good at that he just, he just it's so easy for him and that's it makes you think it makes you look at the session and go right is there something I can put into this session that doesn't really apply to my principle of play but it will bring out my principle of play therefore they will have to think how to solve the problem so there's a ton of discovery there's a ton of discovery where you don't say a lot. You know, you have flash freezes here and there, but you don't say a lot. You question, you question, you question, you question. You don't provide answers. There's a lot of that. Even in the tactical piece, they want the game to be as close to the game as possible. So,
1: Which is difficult for a coach in traditional learning because you have to give up the control of the training. Like, and that's something where I've... And looking at that there, I struggle to give up control of... Because you prepare of moments that you're going to go in when you do what you're talking about. You don't have those moments. You have to find those, yeah. which opens... There's more variables to open up.
0: Which was the most difficult part for me. I was very, very... I was a driver. I was controlling. I was very demanding. You know, everything was high-intensity. Come on, come on. the power the faster so for me, it was like, when I talk about being stripped away, it's like the things I've done for 20 years that I thought was successful and still are, don't get me wrong. There's a, you can pepper these things in everywhere you go. It's not just one way. But now when I put a session together or I look at the session, I look at it completely differently. and I have what we call pocket rules. So instead of being prepared to go into the session and explain something, I've now got pocket rules that I say, all right, this is good, but it could be even better if I drop that one in, right? Well, this is not working. So I need this pocket rule to fix it. So now when when I plan, I have pocket rules that are invisible in my pocket, but they help bring out the principle or they make it more challenging or they make it a lot simpler than what it is because it's too complicated. So I'll take that rule out and I'll put another one in but I'm prepared to move the session along with rules and constraints more than my information.
1: We talked before about, just off air, about coaches getting to where they want to go a little bit too early in this country. Uh, That sounds like when you go on that pathway, it almost re-energizes you to an extra level of more creativity, more risk-taking, less control. We should be doing more of that really in this country, shouldn't we?
0: I think everywhere, Gary, not just here. I think there's issues all over the place with guys wanting to go from A to Z without stepping on any letter between. Um, It's I want to arrive and I want to do it now and I want to be great now. and There's years of practice and years of failure and there's years of mistakes to go through before you even Mm -hmm. attempt to get to that level. Um, I think the coach who... The more hours you spend experimenting and the more hours you spend failing, and doing things wrong, the better you get. You have to fail. What is
1: failure for a, for a developer?
0: <sighs> it's a good question. I'm not sure there is failure, except not giving the correct information, giving them too much information, too young. Not encouraging them to be decision makers because you give all the information. I mean I we interview a lot of coaches, right? And there's a lot of coaches want to work at Atlanta United. And when we bring them in or we go watch them without them knowing, just sitting listening on the sideline or watching training, the biggest problem is not understanding how to put a training session together that relates to the game and it's very generic and the information is too much and the questioning if there is questioning it gets answered by the coach so what's the point in questioning if you're going to tell them anyway there's no point in questioning there's no discovery at all and the games you put on don't encourage them to think for themselves because it's a box of possession with no direction and no rules and no constraints those are the failings of a developer by not looking at what you're doing and saying, is this developing a player? Or is it just kicking a ball about in a square because I think it looks good? Is it do you want your team to play tikki tacker, tiki tacker, ticky tacker all the time? Then fine. But have a plan in training that is related to the game, that makes the decision of Tiki Taka. Okay, make it make it real don't expect them, don't play 8v8 in a 40, 40 uh, by 40 with four goals and then roll out and say why you're not playing tiki taka so i mean the failures of a developer or the preparation the execution and the the maturity of the session the mentality the the pieces you put together how you put it together and what's the end goal of that session if you don't have those things ready, then you're not really that into developing the player.
1: Mm, too much control, not necessarily kicking every ball, but holding every variable in your pocket.
0: Yeah. yeah. How do you learn to read a book? Right? <laughs> yeah. Your mum doesn't sit next to you and tell you every word, right? <laughs> you read because you practice learning the words, and you read the book, and then... You can re- it's not reading a book, but it's fairly similar. How do you get to think about making a decision? in a certain situation on the field where you've never had to do that and someone answered it for you every time you did it. So, and the French do a lot of unopposed technical work and people will argue it, if it's if it's unopposed, it's not beneficial. And I agree with them sometimes. It's probably the only part of the French thing that I had a problem with. But also their technical execution model is what they call it is based on detail down to the hip down to the shoulder down to the foot and they think without pressure it's easier to correct those things and I agree with that as well I'm not either way but I do a lot more technical work under pressure now than I used to so it's you know you, you take what you want right and you build your you build what you feel benefits the player and you're never always right
1: you're never always right. How much of a role at Land United does the first team, obviously first team success, how much of a role does the first team play in terms of, is there a club player profile for each position?
0: Yes, we have a profile for every position. Um, And to be fair, our first teams, the way they look now is pretty much online with the profile that we created at the very beginning. Our academy profile is a little different, as far as you know. We have to be; it has to be dumbed down a bit for the academy. We can't ignore players who are very, very mm-hmm. skillful and fast because they're not six foot five, uh, six foot two, and one eighty. So it's there's a profile for the club. There's a absolute. There's been a culture laid. That is a really good culture now, and we can build on that, and we can tweak it and things like that. But there's a profile for every position we know what we want in every position and we know what we want for the MLS league and what's successful and what works what doesn't work so there's definitely that and it trickles down through the whole club
1: I mentioned a little bit this before but when you're talking then player profile and you're talking about the technical and tactical requirements let's go back now to the, the mental requirements let's talk about resilience for footballers mm-hmm. How do you push a challenge without challenging? You know, in the same way that you evaluated that coach on the training pitch, how would you evaluate the coach and how they behave or how they deal with players around the programme, around their coaching? Mm. Do's and don'ts. Well,
0: we certainly have a, like I said, an unofficial characteristic flow yeah, yeah. that we don't deal with um, our staff are very very good at the discipline piece and that, is, that comes from the whole club the discipline accountability these words will come up all the time and if you can't be on time and if you can't be well behaved and the, the funny thing is especially with our older players everybody wants to tell us what they're doing everybody wants to call us and tell us where they've been what they've seen what they do so our lads know they're in the spotlight especially our young pros who are graduating from the academy and into the pro team or the usl team and now they think they've made it it's really important that we keep their feet on the ground and we keep them behaving the way they should as a young professional which is not always easy for them or us um I'm not sure if I'm answering your question here, but basically, your staff should be held as accountable as your players are for the players' behaviour and the players' mentality and the players approach to the game. I feel like our staff should be as involved and as disciplined and strict, if that's what need is needed, with the players to get the result what we want with the players. Usually your prospects what you would call your prospects, have that X Factor already. And you've just got to feed that X Factor and feed it and feed it and feed it. So that they never lose it and it grows within them. That's my opinion. If, if you feel like they've got it and you see they've got it, you have to feed it and never let them lose that. Because resilience comes from that mentality. And you have to be resilient to make it. And you've got to be resilient to get through injury and you've got to be resilient to get through a session you don't like all that, then that's what makes a pro.
1: On those same lines of mental resilience, that physical resilience you said, getting through injury, how important is it for, we just said about the managing science today and being, you know, the challenges of looking at someone with training loads and getting that there. You know, how, how important is it for coaches to, or how important is it for clubs to know what they want, I suppose, maybe that's the question.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's all up to the individual coach and club and their philosophy towards science and how they use science. Um, it's obviously a massive part of the game. Not only in this country, but obviously in others. Not so much South America, but in uh, Europe. But
1: let me, st- sorry, I stopped you there, because <laughs> Tad is from a South American. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the World Cup, the South Americans are almost physically better than anyone else. But yet it's not a big component of their game. So why why do they produce tech, tech physical teams?
0: I think there's there's a lot of cultural pieces down there that help the way they play, and the the way they are is quite cultural. Um, they train very differently to American teams and European teams, but there are European countries that train quite like the South Americans as well. Mm. I think it's up to every club, every director, every technical director. To use sports science the way they feel benefits their club and their culture and their players. Everyone's different, everyone has a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get clubs like Liverpool in England who have a massive sports science department, huge staffed sports science department, but then you watch the way they train or you look at the way they play their sports science department has to be on board with their first team manager to allow them to train the way he wants to get the results he wants. So that's what works for them. I think where you hit problems in football is where sports science are on a different page to the manager or the director and they then bump heads on how they think they should train and how sports science thinks they should train. And sports science is a support mechanism to football. It's a part of football. It's not football as a whole. And they should support everything that the football club wants to do. But the football club needs to align itself with people who believe in their culture and their philosophy of their team. I think when you've got a department that doesn't support the way the teams play, or train, that's where you get problems. So I think the the biggest thing for clubs is to find the right people and find the right people who believe in the culture and the philosophy of the club. If that happens, which I'm led to believe at Liverpool, it's very cohesive. Then you get results like Liverpool are currently training up now. If you don't, you probably run into trouble and hit a lot of roadblocks as you go. But players need to, especially youth players, if we go back to youth, they need to learn how to train when they're youths. Mm. So when they do make it to the first team or they do make it to a reserve team football, it's not such a big surprise to train at that intensity and with that intensity of player and that quality of player. So when they're young, you've got to be able to ensure they know how to train Mm. and they are aware of their body How far can I go? How hard can I push? When do I need to sit back and hold off? Because I feel like I could get in trouble here. Uh, Self-awareness of your body is the most important piece. And I think sports science can help them do that. But again, they've got to be working side by side.
1: Everyone over here wants to produce elite players. What advice do you have for the under 10, under 12 coach that's going to... Go on a journey or a business, even over here, of saying, Right, this is my job, I'm gonna produce the best. Like what 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 do they need at an earlier age, in your opinion?
0: Great question.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you. Freedom. In the words of William Wallace. <laughs> freedom. Give them freedom. Give them freedom to fail... Give them freedom to do whatever they want to do when they have the ball. Get them technically work on their technique. Get their technique as best you can without making it a boring exercise or a boring time at training. There's tons of things you can do to improve technique that are fun, that are enjoyable, that are hard work. But that 10 year old has to be free to make mistakes and has to be free to play and learn themselves without being told every kick of the ball, without being told when to turn and when to sprint and when to run, they have to have freedom, they have to play and my, my second part to that answer is, don't worry about winning or losing I think that's where we go wrong I really do, I think there's so much pressure from the other side of the field to win because like at Olympic they pay to have their kid be successful in the game and have their kid enjoy the game and they don't want to be getting battered every week because their kid gets sad but I think if you focus on that you're, you're a non-starter you've got to You've got to... You haven't got to worry about winning tournaments and winning games. You've got to worry about their technical ability, the decision-making ability, and their enjoyment of the game. That's the best advice I could give a younger me. Because I, I was like that. I wanted to win games at U10. I made sessions that were ridiculous for a 10-year-old because I thought I was going to make the next best player. I mean, 20 years ago, I... I how am I hold my hands up I made mistakes but now looking back on it I could say right if I did these things instead of that they may have been further along you know maybe there would have been more pros came out of that team if if I'd done these things but you can't control it you can't smother it you can't make it you can't make it yours there you go Yeah. make it theirs that's the best thing I can say Make it all about them. Make it their session. Make it their game. You're just there to facilitate and educate, without stifling their development.
1: What an answer that is. And then for the coaches, then last one for you. Like for a coach that's looking, saying, right, well, I wanna, I wanna work at MLS. I wanna work at developing top players. What would you advice? Would you have for me to do that?
0: Two part answer. Part one is there's not enough good people. Ah. So if there is a good person comes along, you'll get a job. That's we've struggled to find people who fit what we want them to do.
1: Characteristics and, like
0: Yeah. Like the player profile, the coaching profile is it's it's high level and we struggle to find that that perfect. We've got a really good staff, I think. But there's not enough good people doing the things we want to do. So there's opportunity is there. Yeah. Um, number two is put as many hours on the clock as you can. Um, do as many sessions as you can. Make a mess of as many sessions as you can. Be successful. And something I didn't do, which I wish I'd done more of, was watch other people. Get out find someone who you think is a good coach who has a good way and watch them work spend money to go see people work rather than maybe a coaching weekend, you know coaching course I don't know, just get out and watch people coach, find Mm -hmm. someone who can help you get better without really doing anything Mm -hmm. just you watching them and listening Uh, become a good listener to other people which I, will help
1: I heard uh, whenever you were in the car and the young fellow that was driving us to Miami you said be prepared to work for free and
0: he nearly crashed the car <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't let me hear that did he? he asked me how did you get to where you got to and I was explaining that I didn't get paid to do this or didn't get paid to do that but I felt it would benefit me down the line there's not many of them around anymore. there's not many of them around but I to make sacrifice everything's sacrifice doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter what line of work you're in you have to sacrifice to get where you want to go and if you don't there's a good chance you'll never get where you want to go
1: yeah.
0: we've all walked away from a job that we loved or well paid and took a pay cut and this and the other but there's a step back to go forwards which is an old saying of football right mm-hmm. sometimes you've got to go back to go forwards and mm-hmm. if you've never done that as a coach I think you've you you're not on a great path. Mm. You've got to make sacrifice, you've got to watch other people, you've got to do things for free, you've got to be out there mm. when you're not getting paid, mm. if you want to be the best. And the, the last part is just, you've got to put everything into it. If you want to be an actor, a golfer, whatever, you've got to put everything into it. You can't be one foot in and maybe I'll do this in a couple of years' time. No, no, no. You've got to be all in mm. to achieve what you say you want to achieve what you want to achieve then it's all in and you'll get there if you've got all those things going on you'll get there Tony 21st yeah. class thank you so much no problem i enjoyed it
1: thanks so much to tony for his time and his insight there i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did wow where do i start has to be with honesty when he was describing his philosophy at the beginning not simply the words because you often hear a lot of coaches talk about honesty and want it from their players. But Tony was pretty evident of what he meant by it later when he was talking about it in regards to himself and the French coaching courses. He said, up until that point, I felt like I'd been cheating. And that word jumped out at me. How many coaches have you ever heard use the word cheating when talk about themselves? And not very many, not many at all. And I think it's clear that it's that level of honesty tony has with himself that's the difference maker we're all honest to a degree you know we're honest that we maybe we need to get better at this here or maybe we could improve that or maybe we need to get a little bit of advice in this area but being honest enough to say that that word is is outstanding for me and you don't hear that an awful lot and that that tone stayed the whole interview i felt where That's the commitment that he has to get better. And that's what he holds to his players and his staff. And in moving in that there, you know, we talked about the parallels between coach development and player development. And that jumped out at me as well because it made me think, how much do we talk about coaches actually improving? We talk a lot about players improving. Such and such was good and then they got better. But we never talk about coaches improving. They just kind of stay where they are. Maybe we should challenge that a little bit more And then when you go into Tony's advice and and how he feels coaches should be progressing, again, simple things, but at a detail and a level of commitment, the more hours you spend experimenting, failing, and doing things wrong, the better you get. You have to fail. So that's not just someone advising you to go and spend some time coaching and trying things. That's someone trying that you have to be working at a level that it's going to go wrong. So he's always challenging, always pushing. And I thought that bit at the end, the advice, take chances, work for free, give it your all and be a good person. It's great to see those principles applying at the highest level and that they are not still very much in demand. So any coaches who are starting their season up this week or next week or beginning their pre-season, I think that's just a really, really nice way to kick it off and nice little energizer to give you some things to think about so i loved it absolutely brilliant hopefully we'll get him on again sometime but can't thank tony enough for his honesty and the level of his insight as well so hope you enjoyed it would love to know what you think as always at gary Corneen on twitter at gary Corneen on instagram what resonated with you what you agreed with maybe what you didn't agree with all that good stuff we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening have a great week enjoy
0: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kurnine on Facebook or visit the website at (laughs) www.modernsoccercoach.com.